every week. Okay, so we are in a preaching series. Many of you will know uh, the preaching series is called That You May Know. And uh, we are looking at the book of 1 John. Now, uh, 1 John was written by the Apostle John to Christians. Uh, the Apostle John, who spent uh, three years of his life with Jesus, uh, was written by him to a bunch of Christians, uh, to a church. And it was written to, to give them assurance, to give them certainty, uh, and to give them uh, confidence. And uh, that's something that we desperately need today, isn't it? We need confidence, we need assurance, and we need certainty. Now, in the letter, John writes about three tests. There's three tests that we've already looked at uh, briefly over the last few weeks. There's three tests that John writes about to give confidence, assurance, and certainty to the church. There's the test, the, there's the criteria of your lifestyle, how you behave, how you live. I looked at that three weeks ago. There's the test, the criteria of loving one another. Charles looked at that two weeks ago. There's the, the test, the criteria of what you believe, of, of truth, which Alex looked at last week. And together, those three things, truth, lifestyle, and to love one another. Together, those things bring us the clarity, the confidence, and the assurance that we need. And John has been through these three tests. We're just about to go into 1 John chapter 3, and already in the first two chapters, John has been through these three tests. But what he does in the remaining three chapters of the letter is he goes back through those same three tests and criteria. It's repetition to make his point. It is emphasizing these three particular focuses, areas, how important they are, how vital they are, and he comes at them in a different angle. He kind of comes at it in a different way. It's the same three points made in a different way. And again, this just feels so relevant in 2022. It feels so relevant when we live in a world, in a culture, even in the church that says, oh, I don't know anymore. And it doesn't matter what you believe or how you behave and just do what you like. And into that context, 2022, this letter, 1 John, we hear John emphasizing what is vitally important, that we have this clarity, that we have this confidence, that we have this assurance. So the question I want to ask today is this, how do we stop doing what we don't want to do? How do we stop doing what we don't want to do? Paul said it like this in Romans 7 verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. In other words, how do you and I stop sinning? How do you and I live a righteous, holy life? Let me be really honest with you for a moment. When, 
when I preach, and I, you know, I preach most weeks, but when I preach, often what happens is I will live the preach in the lead up to Sunday. Jen will often, uh, my wife Jen will often ask me, oh, what are you preaching about on Sunday? And I'll say something, she goes, oh, I could have guessed that. That's what we've been living through in the past week. So this week, I knew all week what I was preaching on. And there was a couple of things, I'm not going to go into great detail, but there's a couple of things in my life I was like, I'm desperate not to do that. I don't want to go that way. I don't want to. I'm going to set my mind that that is not going to happen. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. As the week dragged on and it got towards Sunday, it got towards today, those couple of things that I was desperate not to do, I did. I messed up. I fell short. Now, I'm being honest with you, but does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to your life? I mean, it's so helpful to know that even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, that's his pen that wrote those words. So this question, how do we stop doing what we don't want to do, is a vital question at the very heart of living as a Christian and as a believer. And it's John bringing another angle to the challenge about how we behave, living holy and righteous lives. So we're going to read the first 10 verses of 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read and they'll come up on the screen, and then we're going to dive into this question. How do we stop doing what we don't want to do? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Okay, so just to put the context here, that the doing what we don't want to do is sin. The Bible word is sin. 
just to delve a little bit deeper into that. To, to the word sin, I mentioned this three weeks ago when I, as I said, preached on this, but with a different angle. Sin is in the Greek an archery term. When we sin, we miss the target. That's what he's talking about. We, we get it wrong. We, we don't do it the way God would want us to do. In our lives, when we sin, it is missing the target. It's missing perfection. It's missing living our lives the way God would want us to live. But it's actually more than that. It's active rebellion against God. That's what sin is. Sin also pollutes and stains our lives and leads to death and destruction. So when we ask the question, how do I stop doing what I don't want to do? We are asking, how do we stop sin? How do we stop sin in our lives? Three things from this passage that help us with this challenge. Number one, we need to know who we are. Verse one, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now that phrase, how great in the Greek, it has a different sense that you wouldn't get from the English. In the Greek, it has a sense of something coming from another country, from a foreign land. In other words, we as Christians, we receive a supernatural love that is not of this world. We receive an otherworldly love. When God lavishes his love upon us, it is from another world. It is a supernatural love. It is the God of heaven who loves us. So as a Christian, we are a child of God. It's who we are by God's grace. And a child of God is to live in the light and is to live true to God's word. That is not of the world. The world is darkness and not of God's way. And you see, it's vital that we see that is not in our nature as a child of God to sin. We once had a sinful nature. That was our nature to sin. When we were born again, the day you became a Christian, the supernatural foreign love of the Father came to live within you. You became a child of God. There was a new nature put inside of you, and now your nature is to live righteous. It's no longer to live the sinful nature. It's so important we hear this and then we begin to accept it and live it out. It's no longer in your nature, Christian, to sin. Yes, it's still a struggle. Yes, it's still a battle. Yes, there are times when you will still mess up, but it's not in your nature to sin any longer. You're a child of God. So when temptation comes, which it will, you're to remind yourself, who you are in Christ. I don't want to go back to who I once was. No, I want to live as a child of God. I want to live righteous. I want to live holy. I want to live in line with my new nature as a child of God. I don't want to live back in my old nature as a son of darkness. No, I want to live as a son of light. So, how? How do we stop doing what we don't want to do? 
Number one, we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. I am a child of God. I want to live the way that God has called me to live. Secondly, we want to know why Jesus came. John says that if you continue in persistent sin, and we'll get to that in a minute, and if you live in persistent, ongoing, habitual sin, your life is a complete contradiction of why Jesus came to earth and died on the cross. Verse 4 tells us that everyone sins and falls short. Everyone is lawless. Everyone breaks the law. Verse 5 tells us that Jesus came to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Therefore, logical conclusion, verse 6, we are to not live in sin. We are to not sin. We are to not continue to sin. You see, it's John telling us logically, if Jesus came to deal with sin and Jesus is sinless, then logically as a Christian with Jesus inside of you, there is no place for sin in your life. There is no place to keep on sinning. You see, we're to know that in Christ, sin and Jesus are not to live together. They are bitter enemies of each other. So when sin and temptation comes and we are challenged to do what is wrong and to do what we don't want to do, we are to remind ourselves of why Jesus came. Because Jesus came, the sinless, spotless one, to deal with our sin. That was his whole purpose of coming. So when that challenge comes, we are to think, I'm a child of God. And let me remind myself, why did Jesus come? He came to deal with sin. So I don't want to wallow in sin. I don't want to just go back to my, my way of living. No, no, no. I want to live free from sin because Jesus came to deal with sin. His whole purpose for coming 2,000 years ago was to deal with sin. And then John goes on again like he uses another angle to get at this. Verse 8. He says, look, in verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. In other words, he says there that the origin of sin is Satan. And de the devil was rebellious from God from the very beginning. Jesus came to defeat the devil. That is his whole purpose for coming, to destroy the work of the devil. So verse 9, it follows on that no one born of God will then continue to sin. In other words, you know, Jesus came to destroy the work, the work of the evil one. So then don't go back and live in the work of the evil one because Jesus came to destroy the work of the evil one. The more you understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross the more it will drive you away from sin and towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Or think of it like this. The more in your life you get to know Jesus, why he came, what he accomplished, his love for you, the more you fill your life 
with the purpose of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. The more you do that, there will be no room for sin in your life. It will drive you away from sin because Jesus and sin are complete enemies. They are complete opposites. So how do you stop doing what you don't want to do? You remember why Jesus came. You remember in that moment of temptation. You remember in that that struggle that you are going through. You remember, no, I am not going that way. I am not thinking that thought. I am not saying those words. I am not doing that action. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for me. Because of the cross. Because Jesus came to destroy the work of the evil one. I'm not going to go and live the work of the evil one. No, no, because Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil. Three things. Number one, to battle. When we fight temptation, when we want to stop doing what we don't want to do, we remember we're a child of God. We then remember what Jesus has done, his purpose for coming. And then thirdly, we remember or we know that we need to be ready for Jesus' return. Look at verse 2. Dear friends, John says, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. John's looking to the, to the future. Now, he doesn't unpack fully what, what that precisely will look like. He doesn't fully unpack our future glory. But he says when he appears, we shall be like him. In other words, we want to become more like Jesus. We want to be transformed from one degree of glory into another. Verse 3, everyone who has this hope, as Christians we have this hope, purifies himself just as he is pure. There's a calling upon our lives as Christians to sanctification, purify ourselves, ready for Jesus' return. Purity, that word there, purifying ourselves, is, is a freedom from moral stain. It's becoming more like Jesus. There's a, there's a, there's a, a realization that, that you're not going to reach utter perfection, but that you want to in your lives and in your Christian walk become more like Jesus. Become more pure than you are now than you were when you first came to faith. Be working through issues. Be working through the ups and downs of life to become more like him. Jesus is pure and spotless. When we see him, we will be like him. But we're to start the process of purification, to be more like him. We have a part to play. And there's a challenge to then stop doing the things that we struggle with, to stop doing the things that brings stain and dirt to our lives because we want to be pure and we want to be more like Jesus. So how do we stop doing what we don't want to do? Think, I need to get ready for Jesus' return. 
I want to prepare myself for when I meet the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to purify myself to become more like him for the day that I will meet him. So there's three things that will help you, help you when the battle comes. They will help you to stop doing what you don't want to do. And John kind of rounds this off with the challenge of verse 9. Verse 9 is, is a challenge to us, but I want to unpack it because I want to make sure we, we fully understand it. Verse 9 says this, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. It's important here that we understand that John's talking about ongoing habitual sin. He's not talking about that we would never mess up and never get anything wrong. No, he's not talking about that. In chapter 1 and verse 8, he acknowledges that Christians sin. He acknowledges that we get things wrong. He's talking and he's challenging us to not settle into bad habits of habitual sin. He's challenging us over persistent, ongoing sin that doesn't get challenged and just becomes part of who we are. Because John says that's incompatible with who we are as a Christian. As a Christian, you will fall down, but you get up again. As a Christian, you will mess up in an area of your life. You need to seek forgiveness and know the hand of God to wash away that sin. But, John says, what we cannot have is ongoing, continuous, without any regard for Jesus' sin that is never looked at, never repented, and never confessed. If you're born of God, there is a deep radical inward transformation that takes place. You have a new nature. God is inside of you. So if that is true, how can we possibly go on sinning? You're a child of God. A supernatural birth took place. Whether you feel like it or not, the living God dwells inside of you. You're to take that on board. You're to acknowledge that and then live your life in life of the fact that Jesus lives in you. And Jesus does not want to share you with sin. Jesus came to deal with sin, to defeat the devil. So we want to live in that freedom. And then one day we will meet Jesus. And we want to be ready to meet him in all purity. Knowing that we meet our maker, having changed from one degree of glory into another. Verse 6. No one who lives in Christ keeps on habitually patterns ongoing sinning. It's what John challenges us with. It is challenging, but that's what John is telling us. He wants to bring clarity here. He wants to also bring confidence in the gospel. Clarity, because some of the um, heretics that were teaching the church that John was writing to were saying that sin didn't matter and you could do what you want. And John was saying, no, that is not true. No one who has Christ living inside of them is ongoing in their sin with no regard for Jesus. That is not how we are to live. Now, let me tell you about Queen Victoria. 
Queen Victoria ruled the British Empire from 1837 to 1901, the Victorian era. Now, not long after assuming the throne, Queen Victoria fell in love with Francis Albert Augustus Charles Emmanuel. They don't give names like they used to. By the way, this is the happiest picture I could find of them just as they got married. They are happy, happily married. That was absolutely, you wouldn't tell it from the photo, but, but happily married. Now, she proposed, Queen Victoria, to Albert five days after his arrival at Windsor Castle. They were married on February the 10th, 1840. Let me just read you a very short diary entry from Queen Victoria's diary from the day that they were married. Because when you read these words, you will see how happily married they were. This is from a diary entry about the wedding day. Queen Victoria writing, I never, never spent such an evening. My dearest, dearest, dear Albert, his excessive love and affection gave me feelings of heavenly love and happiness I never could have hoped for and felt before. He clasped me in his arms. We kissed each other again and again. His beauty, his sweetness, his gentleness. Really, how can I ever be thankful enough to have such a husband? to be called such names of tenderness I have never yet heard used to me before. It was bliss beyond belief. Oh, this was the happiest day of my life. Queen Victoria was so happy. She was on cloud nine. Queen Victoria and Albert had nine children. They were married for 21 years until sadly, Prince Albert contracted typhoid fever and died. Victoria then entered a time of profound grief from which she would never recover. Albert's room was turned into a shrine. The linen on Albert's bed changed every single day and his clothes was laid out. She was known, Queen Victoria, as the widow of Windsor. She wore black from then on until her death. She even slept with Albert's nightsheet in her arms. Now, we all experience loss. And when we do experience loss, a piece of us often dies with the person that has passed away. But Queen Victoria stopped living altogether. As I said, she was known as the widow of Windsor and rarely, if ever, left the palace. She wore black for the rest of her life. Queen Victoria died on January the 22nd, 1901. But she stopped living the day that Albert died, December the 14th, 1861. I did the maths. That's 14,283 days. Here's the thing. You see, I wish that Queen Victoria was the exception rather than the rule. But many people stop living way before they, they breathe their last. Why is that? They can be a prisoner of their past mistakes, that hurts, past offenses, 
things that they have done or things that have been done to them. Now, there's no escaping the harshness of life. There's no escaping that life is unfair. There's no escaping that life can be painful and can deal you blows that, that you're not expecting and that have nothing to do with the way you live your life. But the gospel brings good news. You see, the gospel says you can bury your hurts, your sin, and your shame, and a new day will dawn. It's so important when we talk about living for Jesus, when we talk about overcoming sin in our life, it's so important that we realize that we can bury dead yesterdays. 1 John 1 and verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, confession and repentance are the tools that God has given you and I to bury your dead yesterday and to be set free. Confession to Jesus of what you have done wrong, it allows you to walk in the light. Repentance is you're walking in a sinful direction, but you turn and you walk in God's direction. Now, Queen Victoria, she owed the empire to keep living. She owed it to her children, her nine children, to keep living. She owed it to herself to keep living. When you and I fail to bury our dead yesterdays and we live in continuous sin and shame, we do a disservice to ourselves. We do a disservice to others and we do a disservice to God. You see, the battle for sin is real. You don't need me to tell you that. The battle with sin is real. I told you about my week. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was, but two things I didn't want to do, I ended up doing. The battle with sin is real. But it's time to stop. It's time to bury our dead yesterdays with confession before God and say, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live for Jesus, because I know who I am. I know that I am a child of God, and I'm going to live differently because I know why Jesus came. And Jesus came to defeat the work of the evil one. He came to deal with sin once and for all. So I'm not going to fool around with sin. I'm not going to fall in habitual patterns and ways of living because that's what Jesus came to deal with. And also, I'm not going to be a mess of habitual sin because I want my life to be pure, ready to meet my maker. I want to be more like Jesus every single day. You will mess up. You will get it wrong. You will do the thing that you didn't want to do. But that's where... Unlike Queen Victoria, you, you, you bury your dead yesterday. You live in the freedom of the gospel. And then you say, I'm going to go again. I'm going to go again and I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live 
set apart. I'm going to live as a child of light, not a covered up kind of very gentle or very weak light, but a bold, bright, shining light that is pure. A bold, bright, shining light.